0: Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod and
1: Mike Murphy. Murphy, happy uh, Labor Day, post-Labor Day weekend. I know Labor Day is such a big occasion for you, as much of a fan of organized labor
0: as you are. <laughs> Back to your minds, urchins. Enough <laughs> of this wobbly talk. I saw your tweet and I couldn't help teasing you about it.
1: Yeah, man. I, 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 I respect labor. i um, hey pal, I'm the member of two
0: two unions. I'm a dues paying member of Writers Guild of America West and
1: SAG-AFTRA for my yeah. good luck. So I'm and I'm and right they, out there in the and bank. They, they both of the probably Labor bitterly re- resent having you in their ranks, but um, believe me, I get mail. <laughs> so, but we are at Labor Day, the bra- the traditional sort of turn to the election year, and um, it, this is not news to say that. If you look at polling alone, national polling alone, you've got some separation with uh, Joe Biden consistently holding a lead. Mark Leibovitch wrote a piece in the New York Times yesterday, you may have seen, that was a kind of downbeat piece for Biden saying, you know, he really doesn't have a reason to run other than beating Trump, big reason for a lot of Democrats. But it also spoke to the lack of enthusiasm of the crowds and the size of the crowds, That Leibovitch saw in Iowa. And, uh, you know, the question is, do you become the inevitable guy to beat Trump if you lose the first two contests? Yeah,
0: look, I think these national polls are interesting because they give us a whiff of kind of how people are reacting to the smells coming from the kitchen. But the Iowa outcome, followed by eight days later, the New Hampshire outcome, is a hammer blow that's going to blow the national polls up. So the question is, can... Joe find a little romance to his candidacy to make it an interesting crusade, not just the old gray man slowly crumbles, which is the narrative he has now. Now, he's got time. He's got a lot of people who like him in the party, so he's got stuff to work with. But the the kind of graham cracker statue now being chipped away at is, is trouble, especially when Elizabeth Warren is giving them what they want, romance, a crusade, passion, a selfie, any, anything they want. So if I were Biden, I'd be thinking about how to turn my Jonas, which there is affection for, into something a lot more interesting. And I'd be thinking about how to have my comeback in New Hampshire after Warren kills me in Iowa because nothing works better than a tremendous comeback as hard as it is to do. Because if he doesn't do those two, Mr. Winner is out the window. He's gone.
1: Well, he is trying to add a little romance to his candidacy, and he may be trying a little bit too hard. He ran into problems last week because he's been telling stories out there variously. Uh, that, uh, about uh, pinning a medal on a war hero. Um, and the Washington Post called him on it uh, and did a very uh, extensive story uh, about it. Uh, and uh, here's, here's a bite that they called attention to that uh, really was the core uh, of the story. His buddies got shot,
2: fell down a ravine about 60 feet. Four-star general asked me whether I'd go up into the fob. Now, everybody got concerned, a vice president going up in the middle of this, but we can lose a vice president. We can't lose many more of these kids. Not a joke. This guy climbed down a ravine, carried this guy up on his back under fire, and the general wanted me to pin the silver star on him. I got up there and stand. It's the God's truth. My word is abiding. He stood at attention. I went to pin him. I said, sir, I don't want the damn thing. Do not pin it on me, sir. Please, sir. Do not do that. He died.
1: He died. It was very dramatic. Uh, a lot of the facts were wrong. Uh, though, you know, uh, it turns out he did pin a medal as vice president on someone It wasn't in a forward position. It was outside of Kabul. Uh, right, right. It, it, the, the circumstances were all different, but I give him a pass for that because the exchange happened. The thing I thought was weird was the, uh, the sort of self Uh, Yeah, the big hero move. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I I, I
0: totally agree. Look, Biden getting to the big moment of a heroic veteran not wanting the medal because his pal died. You can give Biden a lot of slack on getting almost everything wrong in the details. But that little side trip he took to the the hero spotlight for him that, oh, hell, I, you know, send me in. I'm expendable here. The self-aggrandizing part of it, which also turns out not apparently to be true that is a problem. Yeah. So Biden's, you know, some of this wobbliness is built into Biden's persona, but it's not turning into a narrative that makes him the winner or that makes him the next president of the United States. So it's real kryptonite, I
1: think. You're right that it is sort of baked in the cake. People expect that Joe, that's Joe being Joe. He essentially got it right. But but he's going to get examined more closely yep. as this process goes on. If he, if he continues to embellish stories to his own advantage, uh, I think that is going to become a meme that could be uh, problematical uh, for him.
0: And he's got a whole bunch of people all with one strategy. I'm a Biden understudy. You know, I'm Mayor Pete. I'm the young, brainy Biden understudy. I'm Kamala Harris. I'm the hard-charging prosecutor Biden understudy. You know, they're lined up around the block trying to take that Biden slot against Warren, who has their own center of energy there. So he he is in an unforgiving place strategically. And other than affection for good old Joe. um, Well,
1: and, and a sense that he's the guy who can beat Trump. Right. But when he
0: starts losing, if he does, then that is completely up in smoke in 24 hours. You
1: talk about these understudies. We're going to have another debate uh, next week uh, in Houston. It's going to be a smaller field, only one night. Ten people didn't make the cut uh, because they couldn't get 2% uh, in the polls or they couldn't find 130,000 donors. It seems like, you know, fairly reasonable Standard to me, I think it's created a lot of consternation among those who didn't make it. But uh, what happens to those people? Is this a death knell, do you think? Because I mean, I don't know where the oxygen is for them. Yeah, and it's exactly that. It's oxygen because you're not on television, and this debate will probably
0: play a little smaller because it's not a cable platform. But if you're not out there having your moment on TV, your donors unplug the phone. There's no oxygen to run the campaign cash flow where they're starting to run out of money. So there's no Iowa campaign to have that maybe magic moment on the trail. It becomes a feedback loop, and it it, it chokes them out. And by the way, I look at this thing. As a Trump-hating Republican with mean Republican pragmatism, it is time for these two percenters to get swept away. There's no room for them. There's no reason for Marianne Williamson or Tulsi Gabbard to be in this race anymore. So let's have the brutal social Darwinism happen and get down to finding a Democrat who can beat Trump. That That's the
1: business of the primaries. So, yeah, time for some casualties. I'm all for it. The part, the the people – you, you mentioned – Gabbard and Williamson, but there are other people in there: Michael Bennett, Steve, uh, you know, Senator from Colorado, Steve Bullock, the Governor of Montana, right. who uh, who are running because they 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 see themselves as candidates who could beat Trump. They're center left Democrats. Uh, they've run in competitive states, Montana being a very much of a pro Trump state, and they've and they've won, um, but they're not getting any. Yeah, it's Yeah.
0: The Is they're right. You know, Bullock would beat Trump like a government mule, assuming Bullock can perform. We don't know that, but he's positioned beautifully. Bennett would be competitive. But in the Bizarro land world of primaries, they're not selling in the short term what people apparently want, which is a tragedy. But if that's what the market is saying, breaks my heart, I'd vote for Bullock over Trump tomorrow in a general election. But I just think waiting for a magic wish to come true
1: is silly. So, uh, you we, you talk about these understudies, uh, Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, um, but uh, to be the understudy, you have to kind of read for the role. Yeah, and they haven't. They haven't said I'm I'm in the same lane as Joe Biden. The the left lane is clogged, which I will you know I want to talk about in a second, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, but uh, these folks. Uh, Their best shot is that Biden stumbles and there are pieces to be picked up and they can pick up those pieces. But they haven't announced themselves as center-left candidates. Well, you know, it's
0: hard to run a passive strategy where you wait for somebody else to screw up and deliver you. That's one of the mistakes I think my dear friend Romney made running against you guys. They kept waiting for the country to fire Obama. Well, do something about it. So I, I think if you're Mayor Pete, the way to go is to be a better Biden than Biden. That's the way to steal the part if you're the understudy. But that means poking as Elizabeth Warren. And it means drawing ideological distinctions, all the stuff that he and Amy have both been afraid to do. And they're running out of chances. They're running out of times at bat or they're both heading to vice presidential bill because they haven't put a candidacy on its legs with some teeth.
1: Kamala Harris, to me, was always a very interesting candidate because— if you do well in Iowa and New Hampshire, you go to South Carolina, She's she's yep. she is a, a woman of color and presumably could take some of that vote away from Joe Biden, who's sitting there with half the African-American uh, vote. But if you don't do well in those two places, you can't. And she hasn't found her lane uh, here. And uh, so she, too, has to figure out – she's not going to break in on the left. Yeah. Yeah. So, I agree
0: totally. She – is somebody who's been all potential in one debate line, but she's not sustaining it. I don't really know what her message strategy is. I don't like the 3 a.m. thing. I think it's Pat. And again, the clock's ticking there, too. There's a real danger for these middle-tier people to start to be in the voter gestalt as vice presidential maybes. Yeah, not ready for the primetime job yet. Pete's too young. Kamala doesn't quite have it. They'll all be better later. They're young. So, yeah, it's time to grab some spotlight and have a message that cuts a little, or I think Biden, Warren, and maybe somebody else—probably not Bernie because of the camp—but somebody else will start to dominate the race. And it's like competing against Walmart once they got fifty thousand stores; it's kind of hard to break in.
1: Well, Warren is—she uh, does have a discernible message. We, uh, we're going to talk with uh, our guest uh, about that. Our surprise guest, who <laughs> I already uh, already announced on uh, Code Name Haberdasher. Yeah. Yeah. But um, uh, she has a real competition going on with Bernie Sanders uh, in that left lane. Uh, And the question is how it resolves itself. And her theory appears to be if I outperform him, over time I will wear him down, that he's got a cap, and when I become the obvious alternative uh, candidate to Biden – uh, his Some of his supporters will uh, gravitate my way. She was asked this specific question uh, yesterday, I believe, in New Hampshire, uh, and uh, here's what she said.
2: At some point, are you going to bag the non-aggression pact and just start drawing more decisions? Yeah, Bernie and I have been friends for many, many years, long before I ever got in politics And I don't see any reason that that should change. But don't you you want to make it easier for voters who are wondering how to make a decision? Look, I get out every day and try to meet as many voters as I can and talk about why I'm in this race, to talk about my vision, to talk about what's broken, to talk about my plans to fix it, and to talk about how I'm building a grassroots movement to get it done. I think that's what voters want to hear. What's your positive message? What is it you want to do as president of the United States? And I'm trying to make that clear every single day. People know why I'm in this fight and what I'll be fighting for.
0: <laughs> I'd like to run a polygraph on the Bernie part of that because <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I'd buy it.
1: Yeah, well, you know, Bernie was pissed in 2016 when she didn't endorse him uh, for president. And she very much uh, wanted to muscle Bernie out of the race by getting in early. That didn't. Happen. So they may be old friends, but they're old friends with a history here. Uh, but they both sort of resolved to have what that reporter said, which is a non aggression pact. Can that hold up? Well, if one of them starts winning, no. Probably not. I mean, think
0: about it from the Bernie point of view. Everybody's saying you got a cap. She brings her shiny liberal act into town. It's better than yours. You're starting to melt. Bernie still has money, and if Bernie wanted to, Bernie could be. On and he television. will throughout. I
1: think you know. Yeah, he will right. throw Bernie's
0: out. got his own money machine, so you can't. There's no oxygen problem for him. He can say, "Wait a minute. She was a Republican. She is now a Democrat." And uh, David Brooks has a great piece in the New York times about this. She used to be even after her Republican days for a lot of stuff she's now against. She is starting to leave breadcrumbs that she, she doesn't really mean it on Medicare for all. Right, He could go into her like a threshing machine and you might even find Steyer who's sitting there with a lot of money and no votes and needs to blow up the race with a bunch of consultants in a room saying, Tom, unless Elizabeth crumbles, there's no opening for you, so let's help Bernie crumble Elizabeth. Let's throw $10 million at her. So, you know, her position Now is she's not only going to start taking the second look from the media, she is vulnerable to
1: people trying to stop her because she's the thing that's happening. So Bernie might be that guy. If you were talking to people in Iowa today, they would say if there was someone other than Biden who was likely to win the Iowa caucuses, they suggest it would be her. And if she came out of those caucuses, she comes out of those caucuses with momentum. That's a problem for Bernie, who's counting on winning the New Hampshire. Uh, primary. Meanwhile, all of that scenario plays out well for Biden because he is sort of alone in that center left. He's dominant there. He's got a firewall right now among African-American voters if you get past the first couple of of contests. If Kamala Harris doesn't uh, come out of those in good shape, that firewall probably holds. Uh, So a battle between uh, Warren and Bernie for the left Really does serve Biden's. Biden's interest.
0: And I keep coming back to New Hampshire because Biden's persona is a better New Hampshire persona than it is an Iowa persona. So if he gets damaged but is top two in Iowa and he comes running into New Hampshire where they kind of like, his secret slogan of New Hampshire, as you know, is screw Iowa. right? Uh, and they he gives New Hampshire the ability to do a theatrical comeback. The guy with the heart and soul gets it back. Then that African-American support in South Carolina, I can see him starting to really roll the table. Then he is the winner because he's earned a victory.
1: Yeah. You see, I think he could actually if he even if he doesn't win in, in New Hampshire, if he could if he wins Iowa and one of the local you know, you can write off a Bernie or a Warren win in New Hampshire because they are local candidates. They are they abut uh New Hampshire, a third of the media market from Massachusetts reaches into New Hampshire. So if Biden finishes a point or two beyond, behind there if he wins Iowa, but if he wins yeah, both, if he loses both, that's a problem.
0: And those are the storms of politics. We'd be remiss if we don't mention that our thoughts are with all the people bracing for a potential hurricane landing on the southeastern United States. Um, climate, like guns, shows up in our politics when innocents are hurt uh, and a terrible price is paid by people who shouldn't be paying a price. We had this week the president really putting his head in the sand on climate change. Do you think that's going to be something that manifests itself politically as we go through what could be, and
1: hopefully not, another damaging hurricane? You know, it shows up in the Democratic primary uh, polling. It's always been so that climate change, as uh, existential an issue as it is, just doesn't pull up. You know, we tried to crack this code when I was working for President Obama, and who felt very deeply about climate change. But uh, there was this resistance uh, along the lines of what you hear from President Trump that somehow climate change and economic growth are, are dealing with climate change and economic growth are zero-sum game. And so we stressed the uh, possibilities of, of a green uh, economy and the new industries that that would create. But we also uh, pushed uh, kind of environmental safety, clean air, clean water, without even mentioning the words uh, climate change to try and sort of slip the pill uh, into the applesauce there, and it was a very very hard uh, it was a very, very hard road to hoe
0: yeah it 's a hard issue it 's science that 's something Trump can never lead on it 's a little bit abstract, but the stakes couldn 't be higher. I, I think we need a new language to talk about this issue in American politics to break the dogma down. And in many ways, it's an infrastructure plan. We got to build clean stuff. We got to build protections, something that is a more unifying kind of messaging rather than red versus blue on climate change. Do you even believe it? I mean, we're self-defeating if we're stuck in this rut, and Trump's
1: just not the guy to solve it. Yeah, my feeling is that he's not going to pay a huge price, even as we see more floods, more fires. I mean, a bunch of the people who are suffering from these floods in the Midwest were Trump Voters and probably will be Trump voters uh, again. But history is not going to be kind uh, to him uh, on this issue. So, Murphy, today we have with us uh, someone who is at the very top of the line. When it comes to hacks, and uh, you know him well, and I know him well, Mark McKinnon.
0: Yeah, a good friend of both of ours. He's somebody who worked for President George W. Bush, had a long career in Democratic politics before that, is a avatar of menswear and the host of The <laughs> Circus on
1: Showtime, plus somebody who really knows Texas. Uh, Mark McKinnon. What's going on? Uh, the, the first and obvious question is, as you're sitting there in Blue River on this podcast, are you wearing the Stetson?
2: Uh, I'm, I'm never not wearing it. In fact, I wear a hat to bed, not the Stetson. But <laughs> <laughs> there's not a picture of me growing up that I don't have a hat on. It's not a newly acquired What hat.
1: is the deal with the hat? I think, I,
2: look, I'm, well, there's two things. One, I'm just oddly uncomfortable if I don't have something on my head, which is weird, but I I, I feel that way about the so, absence
1: of hair. But anyway, go ahead.
2: Yeah. That's, you know, the funny thing is when I do take my hat off sometimes and people see me, they they assume that I'm bald. Yeah. And that's why I always wear the hat. Right, but, it's like the Ron Dad Howard thing.
0: Stetson. They they think <laughs> if the hat goes away, it's completely bald there. But I can vouch you or not. Murphy, we ought to get Stetsons <laughs> if that's, uh... <laughs> that's... I have so. one. Lamar Alexander gave me a Stetson <laughs> uh, once upon a time. Lamar wears the old LBJ Senator small brim one around yeah, Tennessee. Yeah, that's the one it, I wear. It's a good look for an aging Senator, I'll tell yeah. you.
2: <laughs> that's called the that's called the, uh, the President's Hat, and it's uh, it's an open-road Stetson. It has the thinner brim, and it's kind of a little more dressy. That's the hat that my dad wore uh, when I was a kid. And so I remember, you know, there was the dad's closet that had all this cool stuff in it. But the coolest thing in there up on the top shelf was his Stetson, and I remember... Well, Thinking, you know, I can't wait. All of this is
1: own. in service of getting Stetson to sponsor this podcast. So <laughs> yeah, we've done fact, enough. I'll
0: even set you up for a free plug because you've you've rekindled my hat obsession. I have a big closet Excellent. full of them. Uh, Excellent. Where where do you pick up your Stetsons? You probably have a place, right? Where, where's the McKinnon Make, preferred Stetson joint?
2: McKinnon is making making hats great again. Uh, I have <laughs> a, a couple of custom guys that are, <laughs> oh, okay. are my go-to guys. There's a place called Aspen Hatters uh, that... Uh, uh, works out of Austin and Aspen.
1: All right, let's put a lid on this, okay? <laughs> Grown. <laughs> so, listen, let's talk Texas, because even though you're sitting in Blue River, Colorado, you do wear the Stetson, and you're very much associated with Texas, where you spent decades and still hang out quite a bit. Uh, do you think Texas is seriously uh, in play in 2020?
2: I'm skeptical, David. You know, I've, I've heard that, a uh, uh, notion for a long time and and I remember when Texas was democratic I mean I worked for Ann Richards in 1990 but that was a time when there was only a democratic party you were either a progressive democrat or a conservative democrat there was no real republican party in 1990 all 28 constitutional offices in Texas were democrat and were democratic and then George Bush came to town with this message about compassionate conservatism and eight years later, all 28 constitutional offices, and, you know, every, there were a lot of people like me that held their hands up and said, well, that's what I am, who were conservative Democrats and crossed the bridge. And then eight years later, all 28 constitutional offices were Republican and have been ever since. So, I, I, you know, listen, I think there's a demographic trend, certainly, that's happening. And obviously Beto got close, but he got close against the most unpopular senator in Texas, and John Cornyn is not unpopular uh, and so I'm skeptical about that. And, and my point about it is, if if Texas goes Democratic, then it's a 40-plus win. Oh, yeah, there's
1: no doubt they about that. They win for
2: Democrats right. and a 400-plus electoral college. So my, my message to Democrats, don't waste money there. I mean, that'd be like, you know, we're yeah, wasting money in Arizona. Because it takes know, a, a, lot a lot of money. Race. It
1: takes a lot of money to compete.
2: A ton of money. In Texas. And if, yeah, if yeah, once no you've got limit. that,
0: you, you know, as, as you guys say, it's already over, and Texas is the little yeah. victory. Well, here's a Beto question. If he were to get out, do you think he'd be competitive against Corden, or, or, or do you think it's pretty much the, you know, not Cruz equals 48%? Because
1: Corden's I, I, numbers I, I, aren't that great, Mark. They really – he's, yeah, he's, I, he's I, not that's, radioactive that's, that's, like Cruz, but he, his numbers aren't great. They're in the 30s.
2: Well, listen and it's a presidential year, right? so uh, had it yeah. been a presidential year against Cruz, he probably would have won mm-hmm. uh, so I think he's tougher than cruz i do th- i mean i'm surprised that he's not as popular as the numbers show because he's i mean he's out of central casting, i mean he looks like John Connolly, and uh you know uh, it just he, he, and he's and he's been pretty yeah. good on most things and he's uh so i I'm surprised that he's not popular but but listen if it's a big, big wave. Beto would be the guy that
0: could do it, sure. Does Beto still have the, uh, you know, the funny thing about Cornyn, he reminds me of Crocker Jarman, there's an obscure reference, who was the guy Redford ran against in the candidate, you know, the perfect gray hair, I couldn't agree more. But if Beto does go back, has Beto's presidential fumbling tarnished him there? I'm not sure the Beto running now post-presidential is stronger than the Beto would have been if he hadn't run for president, because it's been such a flat-footed presidential effort
2: yeah I think he's got a hitch in his get along now for sure I mean he's not the comp- you know he's tarnished for sure, although you know I don't completely count him out right now i think he's he's working on a third act that's that's kind of interesting you know the the whole guns thing and it's and he's he's got this you know authenticity sort of the new beto thing well, going, it's the old beto really he's 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 well, behaving yeah, now like yeah. he was
1: in yeah. the Senate race he's filled with a moral and I, moral and outrage and sort
2: of Yeah, I mean the line of the week is that it's you know the top three are it's down to the top three in the Democratic primary. I'm not so sure about that, you know, Uh, but uh, so we'll we'll see how this last acrobato plays out. But you know, Hickenlooper now obviously is back in Colorado, and he looks like he's in a very strong position to win the Senate seat here. Mm -hmm. So uh, if that happens, then the Dems start looking at maybe taking back the Senate. Yeah, if they can pull off a couple more.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you been out uh, for your for the circus? Uh, you guys, I know, are starting a new season. Have you have you seen any of the Democrats in action?
2: Well, I saw some uh, before we took a break this summer, and we're going to be back uh, in about a week, starting with the next debate. So, but yeah, we I've spent a lot of time around a lot of them, and I, you know, I think it's an interesting field. The thing that, that's interesting to me, just historically, thinking about the kind of windows that we're looking about in terms of campaigning, think about this. At this time in 1996, Bill Clinton had not even announced yet. Mm. He announced in October of this year. And even 2016, you know, when we started the circus, uh, you know, when those Iowa primaries were happening, there were 18 Republican candidates. And, you know, and, and still most of them in contention. And we really may be down to three or five yes. by January with the Democrats here. So that's yeah. kind of an interesting
1: thing. Three to five, you're talking about in actual contention. You don't expect yeah. everybody else to right. drop. Right. Yeah, someone told me something interesting the other day, which is no one who has uh, who is polling 2% or less in a national Democratic race at Labor Day has ever won a caucus or a primary. Uh, huh. So... You know, you got a bunch of people who are languishing at the bottom there, and it's really hard to see, you know, I think everybody's sort of watching Joe Biden, we we talked about this um, earlier, Mike and I did, everybody uh, is waiting for Biden to make that, you know, politically fatal gaffe or mistake or to, to show some uh, weakness and open up that sort of moderate lane for others, uh, but... Uh, you know that requires someone else to do something. You know it's not like you affirm you. All you can do is put yourself in a position to take advantage of that. I think it's tough for those people at the bottom. There's just not that much much oxygen.
2: Yeah, and the only place you get any oxygen is at a debate. And if you're not on the stage, then it's really tough to scratch.
1: Right. That's ten of them. Who, Mark,
0: would you say, just, just to play kind of fantasy candidate league here for a minute, if the race is boiling down to, in my view anyway, Warren versus somebody, with Biden the leading but fragile somebody, taking those two off the table for now, who would be the most interesting to you just as a candidate athlete to maybe find a way in, to pry their way in there of, of the field, based on what we know now, having watched them in taking the you know, first half of this?
2: Table. If you take those two off the table?
0: Yeah, yeah. Who who would be kind of it interesting. Now they may not be able to execute or whatever, but in positioning or in talent or in you know, like uh, is there
1: undervalued stock? Is there undervalued stock out there? Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, politically, I mean, I, I you know, I, my preference is for somebody from that middle lane uh, to break through, and that be Amy Klobuchar or you know Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Buttigieg fascinates me. I you know, I did this thing. I went to a college and talked to some students, and we did this exercise where I said, you know, historically. When you replace uh, a president with or a party with a, a new president or a new party, you do that with the. It, 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 you look down the line. And it's the like, you always do it with the exact opposite. It's like an X ray negative of the person who is there. So I said, okay, so you have Donald Trump. Let's list his attributes, and we did that, and they're what you would imagine. And then we kind of went through the top ten Democratic candidates and listed all their attributes. And when you looked at that uh, that MRI on the blackboard. One person stood out completely as the polar opposite of Donald Trump, and that was Pete Buttigieg. You know, you just kind of go down the list of all the things where he's the uh, he's the opposite of Trump. So the most opposite person of Trump really is Pete Buttigieg. I'd love to see him in the debate stage with Trump, and and I find him interesting. And I think you guys would too, just as a as somebody who's watched a lot of candidates, it's just so refreshing to see a guy who's who just talks differently. You know, he just he talks about these issues and ideas in a way that's different and refreshing and new, and it doesn't sound like it's coming off a teleprompter, it doesn't sound like it's coming off a script, and and it seems thoughtful, and therefore it comes across as authentic. So I just like that he's so different.
1: I've spent a lot of time with him. I know him very well. uh, And I share your your views of him. The fact is, getting through the Democratic primaries, the, the replica remedy theory, which was one of the things that animated my view of Obama's chances, Right. um have a lot to do with um with winning general elections the problem for Buttigieg is well first of all he you know he is he is plateaued and he has to find a way forward and there yeah. is no uh he, there are lanes in this thing you know and even in those new generation races those candidates found lanes bill clinton was the sort of center left candidate uh in that race uh, jimmy carter yeah. As well, and Obama, in his own way, charted a course that was more moderate uh, than some of the other uh, candidates. Buttigieg seems determined not to take a lane, and I think that's a dangerous. That's a dangerous. You know, kind of, he thinks he can, I guess, grab some from the left, some from the center, and so on. I don't think that's the way this thing is playing out. He's really
0: too clever by half because what he's trying to do is appeal to moderates with the thoughtful McKinsey problem solver tone, while on the policy side, he's trying to cover his life flank a little too aggressively. So it becomes too clever by half. And I I like the guy. I think he's smart. I've spent a little time with him. Ideologically, he's to the left. But I also worry in the general election about just kind of the strength vibe. Does he turn into Adlai Stevenson? And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think brains as the anti-Trump is strong, but I don't know.
1: One of the ways you deal with a strength vibe is to have some moments in the debates where you actually challenge the people on the stage. We haven't seen that Uh, Yes, I think part—look, Mark can speak to this. You can speak to this. We've all done presidential races. They are long sort of oral exams. They're auditions, and every single event, uh, debates being prominent among them, people are watching not just to see what you say, but how you handle yourself, how you behave. Do you have the strength uh, that the presidency and presidential general election candidacy requires, certainly in this case, to take on Donald Trump? And if you're unwilling to engage with your opponents on the debate stage, uh, I think that creates a question. Yeah, I agree.
2: You know? you know, the other thing I'd say, guys, is that just, you know, from observing this field like we do uh, and, and the things that we watch for, I'm just increasingly impressed with Warren. And I think she's in a oh my goodness. super yeah. strong position. You know, she's just she's gotten so much better as a candidate. And here's the thing that, I, that really gets my attention. She's developing a really clear narrative. And that's you know winning campaigns tell stories, and you think about Donald Trump and you know the, and the architecture I always use is you know we think about storytelling in terms of culture, film, books, movies, what have you. Well, the same is true of campaigns and businesses. You know, great business, great campaigns have a sort of a narrative arc to them. And the way we describe that to candidates is you identify a threat or an opportunity, identify the victims, who are the vi- who's the villain. Uh, what's the solution and then reveal the hero what you think about that Donald trump it's real easy to to see what that story was in two thousand and sixteen you know what's what's the opportunity Make America great again what's the threat? These others coming across the border, changing our way of life? who are the victims middle class Americans who's watching changing way of life and diminishing paychecks uh what's the solution? Build a wall, drain the swamp uh you know tear up the trade deals who's the hero of Donald Trump? Yes what hillary Clinton's story was. I don't have a clue, and obviously neither did she. But right. now, the thing about Elizabeth Warren, and this is where I tell my Republican friends and my Trump supporter friends, I said, beware what you asked for in Elizabeth Warren because, yeah, she's ideologically out there for sure, and she's like you know the worst of what Mike and I can imagine from a policy perspective. But her message is not, ironically, is not unlike Trump's because the fundamental yeah. message is the system's rigged, you're getting screwed. She just has a different prescription and a different cause. Her prescription, her cause, is that it's the it's not it's not the others and outsiders and immigrants. Uh, you know the enemies for Trump were were you know obviously Mexicans and the Chinese. But for Elizabeth Warren, it's the it's the you know it's the, it's right. the big corporations and big pharma and, and the rich. And so she's gonna she's and her prescription is to redistribute that wealth. So. And by the way, I, I don't, uh, uh, this is anecdotal, but I heard that somebody did some focus groups in those kind of key, Michigan, Ohio, you know, key states out there in the Midwest, and l- with a group of Trump supporters and laid out her ideas to the Trump supporters, hands up, hands up, hands yeah, up. Yeah, but you know what,
1: here's here's the issue, in my view. I th- I agree with you. I agree with virtually everything you've said. I think she's run the best campaign of anyone. She does have a narrative. It's clear. It's understandable. Uh, She is relentless. Uh, Their organization is great. The missing ingredient is she is not yet connecting with uh, white working class voters. She's not yet connecting with African-American voters. Uh, And it seems to me that she needs to lean heavily into bio to add, to really yeah. activate her full potential she has to be yeah. Betsy from Norman Oklahoma not Professor Warren from Cambridge Massachusetts oh, and right. they haven't done that uh, enough yet to uh to you know to to really break through and there is a question of whether the messenger ultimately is accepted uh the message you know has power and Murphy hates the message yeah. too but <laughs> but I respect it because I, I I get
0: this. She is offering a lot of what they want in the primary. And my Republican friends all say, oh, tr- she'll reelect Trump. And I think she is a risky choice for the Democrats because she gives Trump a tremendous amount to work with. But if she can pivot over to the fighting grandma and get away with it, um, I agree with what you said about some of that testing in Michigan. Her populism, it's the old horseshoe theory that if you go all the way and hiccup, you know, you hop and you go from being Pat Buchanan to Gus Hall. She is a symmetrical. (laughs) I don't know what you just said, but I'm sure it's true no 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 no. it's like Bernie's the same thing they they're both grievance candidates and they need needs the enemy with Trump it's Mexicans tunneling in to steal your job and Chinese trade negotiators yeah. with her it's big yeah. corporations with all these gold coins buried in New York and the the profits so yeah. they are yeah. much more similar they're different in tone and everything else but like McGovern and Wallace there, there is a link there and to some extent her energy comes from Trump another sin in my view because I hate the idea of going from Trump who's you know in in his worst days, has fascist tendencies over to the hard socialist left. We'll see. And and at your point, I agree too. She she needs uh, another chapter here to start the move, or she will be caught in the Harvard faculty lounge, and that is a much riskier candidacy for the Dems than than the pure populist resentment campaign that she could wage.
2: Well, she's got she's got plenty of time to get there. You know, I mean, and if you if she can win the primary, and listen, if you're all the heat and energy in the Democratic primary is, is toward you know younger voters, more diverse voters, toward women voters. So my view is, if you if you if you're you know, if you've got some of that heat and you like the policy prescriptions of a Sanders or a Warren, you know why why go with the you know angry white guy yelling get off my lawn and why not go with this you know the smart professor who's saying may I mow your lawn? Uh, and once she gets through that, I mean she's you know she, believe me, it's going to be Betsy from Norman, Oklahoma that shows up on the. Uh, On the uh, stage to give her speech in the next summer, right? Yeah, but plenty time to.
1: Yeah, I I just think she needs it to win the nomination. I don't think you can win the nomination just with very liberal voters, college-educated voters, and uh, young voters. I think you need to break through with uh, working-class white voters and African-American voters, and she has to find uh, a way to do that. On the overall. Uh, on the overall, I also wonder, it seems to me that the broadest message for Democrats to defeat Trump is less about, you know, karate and more about jujitsu. That is to say, you use his negative energy against him. The idea that, we, you know, whether you like what he's done or don't like what he's done, we can't wake up every day uh, with a president who is, is, dividing the country for profit, sending out these crazy-ass tweets and, tr- and, and tantrums that start gratuitous fights that create all this chaos that makes it impossible to get things done that actually need to get done. I think that that is the message that brings the broadest number of people uh, to the Democratic nominee. So, the question is whether she, she is that candidate or is there another candidate. I guess my, what I'm articulating is more a Biden theory. But whoever runs, I think that is the way you get these disaffected uh, uh, white, non-college educated yeah. women. That's the way you get these suburban voters who drifted Democrat in 2018. Um, I don't know if she can deliver that message or not.
2: Yeah, that's that's very true. And I, listen, I think that's a big reason why Biden just keeps floating. Yeah. I mean, there's just there's such desperation just for going back to something we know is that 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 relates to something that seems like calm, you know, that that just some sense of order. And yeah. you know, Biden's a guy that they they know they they know he can do that. He's done it before, and so he's a safe bet. Uh, For we're just making America. The act
0: of running made redefine Biden. That that if Biden could go into a time chamber and emerge, the Biden of a year ago and just pop out would be there. But who knows what the campaign will do to Biden? Here's a quick question for you. Right now, if the election were held tomorrow, even in Texas, guns would be very, very high on the voters' uh, minds. Do you think that'll be the same situation on actual election day, or will, as we've seen of other tragedies, the issue fade a bit as we we get down to
1: the and Let, let day us let us note that there are a lot of people who are uh, suffering today in Odessa and Midland That's uh, true. for their loss. So uh, losses. So uh, we shouldn't before we get to the crass politics of it. We should take a moment to say our thoughts and prayers are with them. But go ahead, McKinnon. Get now, well, now get, to, get, the get the to the crass politics, politics there, McKinnon. Yeah. We're, we're <laughs> yeah. set you up
2: with that. This is hacks on tap, after exactly. That. Yeah. And you have clawed your way to the bottom here with the <laughs> guys today. Um, I, yeah, I keep thinking there's going to be a tipping point on this, and it, it, is, it is one of the things that really confounds me. That I can't. I, is there another issue in which a single interest has taken a political party hostage? like the NRA has, uh, you know, the, the, the notion that after, you know, not just the this, this shooting this weekend, but the one before that where, you know, all we're talking about is background checks and Trump backs off the background checks, which is something they initially mm-hmm. said. I mean, see, Trump was never, a, you know, a gun nut until he became president. And it's just it, it's the way that he is affected by the special interests is just
1: yeah, astonishing to He healed like, like a little chihuahua. And the NRA's
0: never been weaker, and the numbers have never been more obvious. I know. It's, it's, you know, it was yes, the moment, it's the and it was, it's been blown, this unless it moment. comes back to life yeah, now. And
2: I, it's, just, it, it's stunning to me, and I, and I have no answer for it, and I keep thinking that, you know, democracy will emerge and hold somebody accountable. It hasn't happened yet, uh, which is just... But by the way, that, that, that this is where Beto now is going. You know, Beto's going to the, we're, we're, we're going to take your guns away. Yeah, I'm going to take your guns away, so... Mm-hmm. uh so the, the, the it has pushed people further politically now
1: hey brother it's great to have you we didn't claw to the bottom we 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 climbed our way to the top by having you hope you'll come back often and uh and
0: everybody and, should check out the circus coming soon on showtime uh, must watch television for political
1: hacks
2: and 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 and
1: I look forward to spending time with you on CNN so
2: Exactly right. So we'll be kicking a lot uh, around the neighborhood, and I uh, <laughs> hope I was able to give you uh, not no prattle, but a little no prattle no of
1: no the cattle. No, <laughs> no 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 prattle, all hat. All right, brother. And there's plenty under that hat, not just hair. Thanks. All bro. right, brother. Good to right, be with see you. you hard, carry on. Regardless. Bye.
0: So from the mailbag, a lot of great questions. If you have a question for us, you just need to email us at hacksontamp@gmail.com. at gmail.com. It's our magic mailbag address, hacksontamp@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Axe, first one goes to you. It's from Robert. And Robert wants to know, should Biden pledge not to seek re-election if he wins? I usually think these are bad ideas and self-defeating, but I think it could help in his case. What do you think?
1: Well, you know, I think they've, they've actually talked about this quite a bit internally with uh, Would it allay people's concerns about his uh, age? Would it underscore uh, the notion that this is a unique situation, as he likes to describe it, a national uh, emergency, uh, an existential crisis, uh, removing Donald Trump, and that he will do that job and serve and and then step aside? You know, it seems to me they've decided against that uh, because— uh, it it would also accentuate his age it would make him a lame duck uh and uh, uh you know but one thing whether it also would uh, heighten what is already going to be a huge amount of attention paid on his vice presidential choice because everybody is going to know that it is highly unlikely that if Joe Biden gets elected president that he'd run for reelection at the age of 82 which is what he would be and so the person he selects is likely to be the Democratic standard bearer uh, in 2024, and uh, so uh, that's going to be a pressure for him, regardless. And one one thing on that, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Biden to make a choice that balances out the ticket—someone who's younger, perhaps a woman, perhaps a woman of color. Uh, the you know, I, I recall what Barack Obama said when we were when we named Biden, the first thing that Obama said uh, of the 30 candidates we were considering is, um, I want someone who understands what it's like to be in the middle of this national maelstrom of a campaign. So, uh, you know, his preference was to look among the candidates who had run before and understood how insane this process is and how much pressure... It entails, and that's one of the reasons why he chose Biden among uh, many, Biden should consider that whoever he chooses is going to become uh, immediately a lightning rod, and uh, he'd better choose someone who he thinks can stand up to it.
0: Yeah, look, I agree. I'm always dubious of the one term thing because you can always construct a brilliant argument for it inside the campaign. But when you do it, I think the media is always going to go to the subtext and say, oh, you admit you can't serve two terms. Oh, you're too old. You admit your weakness. Let's talk more about your weakness. I think the VP thing is critical for Biden. And VPs really send a message about who you are in that process. That's how Palin hurt McCain so much. I, uh, I think he's got to be very careful. And I, I'm always a contrarian on all this balance the ticket stuff because if you balance it too much, the story is your differences with your choice. Uh, Clinton, I thought, was brilliant. He picked a, a slightly duller version of himself to make the argument we need two young, sunbelt, transitional guys. And it worked. So don't overthink it, Joe, but I agree it's a fraught with peril. So
1: should he go out and find another uh, white male septuagenarian? The truth is, if the
0: Democrats were better at getting grumpy old white guys, they'd beat Trump. I, I, think, <laughs> I think this diversity thing
1: is a rabbit I don't hole know, form. man. I think a little balancing might be good there. <laughs> so I got one for you from Jock who says, I am a political junkie who has just sold his restaurant in Los Angeles. I now find myself with much time, much energy, and a bucket list yearning for attention. I sense these days are historical and political terms. I would love to take two to four weeks before Thanksgiving to travel to where the action is and feast on as much political water as possible to quench my political curiosity. Could you please recommend places for me to go, things to do, and perhaps some special inside tricks and tips? Oh, that's fantastic. Jacques, I applaud it. I'll do New Hampshire,
0: you do Iowa. How's that? Um, You know, the great political tourism season is next January when it's a fever pitch in both places. You you literally can't stumble down the street and not bump into a candidate begging for your vote. But if you want to go before Thanksgiving, uh, you know, I, it's, these things are very porous and easy to find on the internet. I go spend a week in New Hampshire, a week in Iowa, New Hampshire, you go to Manchester, you just walk down Main Street, you're going to find storefront offices, go a little north to Concord. The Seacoast region is a lot of fun uh, over to the east and very picturesque. And don't forget Nashua and the towns on the mass border that are suburban but where a lot of the key boat in new hampshire is and just show up at town halls uh say pepperidge farm a lot and fit right in and meet some candidates uh the best way to crack it is to get a second-tier press credential somehow, say you represent the Automotive News or something. But the good thing about the New Hampshire primary is it's so open. You can you can do well by just showing up, camp out, spend a week, uh, get a car with snow
1: tires, and uh, enjoy it. It's an amazing thing to watch. The same is true of Iowa, of course. You can... Uh you can catch a town hall meeting every night if that is your interest and they're and they're great to go to but there is one iconic event above all others in Iowa that takes on sort of mythic importance uh and that it used to be called the Jefferson Jackson dinner before that became politically incorrect so now it's just called the fall tragic democratic uh dinner in Iowa, it was at this dinner in 2007 that Barack Obama really turbo, turbocharged his candidacy. It's held in the in a, in a big arena. The, now it's going to be in the Wells Fargo uh, Arena in Des Moines. Uh, the rafters are filled with supporters of the candidates. The floor with donors and dignitaries, and the candidates have to come up. No, uh, no notes, no teleprompter, no podium and make their case as to why they're running and why they should be uh, president. In 2007, uh, Obama was the last of seven candidates to speak. Hillary Clinton was the sixth candidate to speak right before Obama. And that event uh, and that speech, which you should Google if you haven't seen it, was really a seminal event in that campaign. Obama was – his message was distilled – uh, and was uh, really there for everybody to hear, and very much separated himself from Clinton and the Democratic establishment. And his campaign took off uh, after that event. But just the whole, the pageantry, the campaigns. We marched from our headquarters to the hall with Michelle and Barack at the front of the line. And uh, I mean, it is a crazy, crazy, exciting event. You want to, if you could possibly get inside that arena for that event. That'd be worth the whole trip. All right. It's last call. Axe, what's on your mind? So here's mine. The the most frustrated guy in Washington must be Chuck Schumer, because he needs uh, three, four, and maybe five seats if he loses Alabama, where Doug Jones has a very tough race for the Senate, uh, to take control of the Senate. There are candidates in Montana, in Texas, in Georgia, who would have a very decent chance to win seats. Uh, Beto O'Rourke in Texas, uh, Steve Bullock in Montana, both are polling poorly in the race for president, uh, but resist the notion that they can go back. Now, the filing dates are later. They can change their minds. John Hickenlooper said he wouldn't run. He went back to Colorado. He's now running for the Senate. And then there's Stacey Abrams in Georgia, where there are two Republican seats uh, up in 2020. She immediately said when John Isaacson announced his retirement last week that she wasn't going to run, but she was available uh, for vice president. I understand the United States Senate may not be an appetizing place to serve but uh, these days, but... Uh, it is vitally important that people do it. To me, I sympathize with uh, Schumer because he must, be, uh, he must be tied up in knots wondering why these people would pursue these quixotic goals when they have Senate seats that they could possibly win. So mine is kind of the
0: angry Irish cousin of yours, Ax. I am an anti-Trump Republican, so I want to see Trump defeated, which is making me bend my normal rule against ever rooting for a Democrat. And I just say to the Democrats, let's get pragmatic here. You've got to attract some of those Trump voters to win. You've got to get white working class people. So don't tell them they're all racist because they made a mistake and voted for Trump. Run a more welcoming campaign, not a narcissistic festival of kale and identity politics and I worry that the Democrats are getting deeply into the risk business, indulging themselves in their primary, including candidates who shouldn't be there, and they're missing the ball. This is a national mission to replace a president who is unfit for office. Let's keep our eye on the big prize, not the uh, hunger to have some ideological victory that will only bring risk to the race and give Trump what he may need to win. All right,
1: Murphy, we're getting kicked out of the bar
0: now. (laughs) <laughs> well, I want to tell you about that French memory. Well, we're going to go. Too, we're going to go and round. straighten
1: ourselves out, and we'll be back <laughs> next week to give you a preview of the big Democratic debate. See you later, brother. All right, thanks, pal.